Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a mouse dropping on my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Molly Green and Taryn Rudge. Well, yes. Sometimes that's God's way of getting you to enjoy gardeners' world. The Happy Garden. <laughs> <laughs> A very warm welcome to the Happy Garden Podcast, episode 11. My name is Molly Green, and let me welcome your expert to episode 11, uh, Darren Rudge. Hello. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. Good, good week. Yeah, well, I've been wheelie-dealing like I normally do. Been outside digging this week. It's a good time to cultivate. Been out and about digging, doing a bit of planting as well. It's also a good time to plant, so uh, that's really sort of sums up my horticultural week, Molly Green. Oh, nice, and a nice, um, no, it has been nice weather for it as well. We've had the most beautiful Tom and the Bubble days, and it's been quite warm as well, so nice to be out and about digging, yes. Ooh, lovely time of year, absolutely beautiful time of year. Now, today, <laughs> what we're doing on the Happy Garden podcast, I do know that we've had a lot of emails in which I've forwarded to you yeah. over the last few days, and and we've had, this has been a duplicate, people asking you to talk about cyclamen, indoor and outdoor varieties, because they're in all the shops and you don't know what to do with them. Yeah, well, I'm doing a piece on cyclamen, the mists dispelled. That's, that's <laughs> R- what I'm going to do there. 15. Um, how to choose your compost. So, you know, when you walk into the garden centre or your DIY store and there's just hundreds of the things, isn't there? And you think, well, which one do I choose? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you some of my advice as to which compost you should choose. It's quite simple, really. Jokes of the week. Five more for you, Molly Green. And they are fantabulous today. And then how about some jobs? That's me done for this week on Podcast 11. Eleven. Say it properly. Eleven. There we go. <laughs> and mushrooms on the agenda today, our dazzler. Um, Darren and I, well, you and I were out a couple of weeks ago. Was it three weeks you were here? Yeah, it's Gosh, been three weeks now. Flown, and not it? Yeah. Um, but after we'd recorded the podcast, then we went out and kicked a few leaves, didn't we, with the dogs. Yeah. So many different types of mushrooms that we saw. 
Oh, they're like bending down. Oh, look at that one, look at that one. Beautiful this time of year. So we've had lots of emails in with photos of your garden mushrooms as well. So we thought we'd delve into the fungi world with Fergus the Forager. What are you laughing at? Forget <laughs> that. think... He's got a T-shirt with that on. <laughs> I think he probably has. On his website, which I'll tell you about a little bit later on, because he forages all sorts, seaweed being one of them, and he hasn't got much hair. And there's a... Um, <laughs> for, no, by his own choice, he's, he's quite cool, is Fergus. And there's a picture of him with a... like a sea, he's, he's, he's on the beach and he's, he's, he's put seaweed all over his head, so he's got a seaweed wig on. He's really cool, Fergus. Is. So we're going to hear from, <laughs> hear from him in a little Fabulous. while. <laughs> and some fungi facts sprinkled into the, uh, into the pod as well. And, uh, you know, probably some uh, mushroom jokes. Not as good as yours, Ovs. We won't beat mine this week. No. Well, I don't think so. Well, we'll see. <laughs> All of this and more still to come on The Happy Garden with Mark Green and Dan Rush. You know, I'm sweating like a gibbon and I might take my cardigan off. Like a gibbon? Like a gibbon. Or an orangutan. Yeah, one of them. Um, I was a little <laughs> bit late dialing you to record this podcast today, um, Darren. I was in contact with you. Yeah, you were. But you, you, you told me you were putting up an electrical fence. No, I was sorting a problem with an electrical oh, fence. Oh, I see. Yeah, briefly. Oh, gosh, I am actually sweating. I was I was walking off to go and release some mice, because mice are on the agenda today as well. You've been here. You know oh, no, there's mice. Yeah. You're infested. <laughs> so I was just letting three go. And I don't know if they home or not, so I was walking quite far away from home. But then I feel guilty in case they've got a family here and... Oh, anyway, and then when I was on the way back, I noticed that the alert on the chicken's electric fence was flashing red, which means the electricity's gone out. And there was so, it was so windy last night, wasn't it? It was yeah. so windy. Um, and you have to check all the perimeter and a branch had come down. You say I had to go and find this branch had come down, which was touching the wire, which was touching the fence and shorting it out. That's why oh, I, I just thought you lived in Fort Knox. <laughs> my things <laughs> no it's the chicken wire right would you like darren would you like a sexist mushroom joke to kick yes, off with go on then i love a sexist mushroom yes. joke <laughs> all right then darren why is it impossible to have a conversation with a female mushroom i don't know why is it impossible to have a conversation with a female mushroom <laughs> Because she talky too much. <laughs> that's sexist. That's quite good. Is that allowed? Yeah, that's all right. That's quite good, actually. I'll, I'll tell that one down the pub later. <laughs> it will be enjoyed by all. Ace, you can have that one. Own it, Darren. They'll be really impressed. Thank you. Yeah. Now, not only are there some uh, <laughs> fungi jokes, um, I'm going to sprinkle in a fungi fact before Darren does his jobs for the week ahead to kick off with. And I, I'm only re I'm regurgitating and recycling because I remember you telling me this an awful long time ago, that um, fungi are the largest life forms on Earth. Fungal mycelium can grow and expand for miles under the ground as they go in search for food. And the largest living organism... Uh, um, hang on, let me say that again. <laughs> The largest living organism on the planet is a single honey fungus mushroom in the uh, Mahur National Forest in Oregon in America, and it's three and a half miles wide. That is the largest form on Earth, 5.6 kilometres, uh, which is about 2,385 hectares, and they think it's about 2,500 years old, but it could be much older. Fascinating things, fungi in their life form. They are totally and utterly. They're more related to us than they are plants. Mm. 
fungi. That's a fact to take on board, isn't it, really? Mm. Closely related to humans. Sorry, I was going to um, reply then, but I took a massive swig of coffee. That's, uh, <laughs> that is one of my facts for a little bit later on, actually, because we are oh, so sorry. closely... No, because we are so closely related to fungi, then we can actually get vitamin D from fungi. It's the only, I think it's the only food source we can get vitamin D from. Mm. Anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Shall we start, though, with some wonderful Darren Rudge jobs for the week ahead? Yes. Why not? Now in the happy garden. Oh, I say, sweetie, this is my favourite bit. Time for Darren to be absolutely flabulous and regale us with his gardening jobs for the week ahead. Well, yes. Go. Well... Tidy up those roses, folks, so give them a good tidy through. It's time to give them a prune back if you haven't already done so. Prune out those dead, diseased, damaged branches for untypical growth as well, but tidy them through, especially climbers, ramblers, scramblers, all those sorts of things. Just give them a good tidy through. The, the weather has been quite wet recently, so just check on plants that were newly planted. Make sure that they're not suffering from those sodden ground conditions. Just get the fork around the base and just alleviate that compaction and make sure that that water is actually draining through. Lower branches of trees and shrubs can now be pruned to allow light in underneath for those plants that remain with us over the winter to come. Darren, some lovely jobs, some lovely jobs to be getting on with in this beautiful autumn weather. It's warm today, though, as I said, a bit, a bit clammy today. It's lovely and warm. We've got a nice, um, nice day. It is unseasonably warm, yeah, I think. I think uh, it is quite mild. Yeah. Did, did I tell you? <laughs> I think I did actually when we did the the apple day a few weeks ago, our Dazzler, that we've got, and still, because I saw it this morning when I was sorting the geese out, <laughs> it's great here. We've still got some apple blossom in yeah. blossom. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely crazy. And plants are totally and utterly confused with climate change, aren't they? If you've got it in blossom, just admire it. Mm. It's there, isn't it? Nothing you can do. Mm. I think you're quite lucky. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful. It's lovely. We'll have some more jobs from our Darren in a little while here on the Happy Garden podcast. And we've got an interesting question. There's several have come in, but I shall read one out for our Darren on indoor and outdoor cyclamen very, very shortly after we have met Fergus the Forager. Now, we're going to do quite a bit on mushrooms today here on the Happy Garden podcast. They seem to be absolutely everywhere and they're a spectacle to behold. They're magnificent to eat as long as you know what you're doing. So we thought we'd get the experts on. Let's start our chat with the lovely Fergus. Welcome to the Happy Garden podcast, Fergus, in what must be a very, very busy season for you. Every season is busy, to be honest. But yeah, thank you. I'm looking out the window and it's well, the end of autumn. And years ago, I used to think, oh, great, it's time to kind of relax now and not think about fungi, not think about wild food. But actually, yeah. the more you learn about a subject, you realise that it's kind of endless and it, it doesn't stop in terms of what's going on outside in nature. And it doesn't stop in terms of the books you could be reading, um, the other studies that you could be doing. Um, so, yeah. It do, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't stop. It just changes. And and the, the season that we're in at the moment, and we've had so many questions about fungi, about mushrooms, and sort of why they're there, what they are. Can I start with a really basic question, Fergus, as in what fungus, mushrooms, are they the same thing? Why are they there? Sort of 
Just as a preliminary question, you know, a question mark, what are they? One thing about fungi which makes them so fascinating is just there. there's so much unknown about them. We kind of generally know what they are. Well, Martin's fungi toadstool. I mean, they, they, they refer to the same thing, which is basically like the fruiting body, like the, the mushroom that we see, which could be a, a kind of classic, obvious looking thing with a cap and a stem, or it could be something, you know, like a, a woody, hard thing growing from the side of a tree, or it could be some microscopic, almost microscopic thing that you can barely see on a leaf. Yeah. But they're all multicellular organisms made out of thread-like mycelia which for the most part are like feeding on either rotting wood or kind of broken down plant material kind of in, 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 in the grass or yeah, even on, on living trees. So that's like the, the bulk of the fungus is that mycelium that you can't see. Um, it's in the substrate that it's, it's, it's feeding on and gorging on. But then at certain times of the year, and it depends what fungi species, these amazing fruit bodies um, sprout up everywhere of every kind of shape and color you can possibly imagine. And I guess in, in terms of what are they for? Well, what is anything for? It's just an expression of the vast multiplicity of, of life. But I, I guess if you had to say that for one thing, I would say they were the, they are the ultimate recyclers. Yeah. If you think if there weren't fungi, when a tree dies, it would just be lying there. It would be lying there for years and years and years. And then other trees would die. And we'd just we'd be overwhelmed with trees and things that have died that aren't being broken down and the nutrients released for like other organisms. So, yeah, they're the ultimate recyclers. That's what I would say fungi are. Fungus, it is fascinating to hear you say we don't know everything about them. I was doing a little bit of reading earlier on today and I was blown away by just how, how uh, you've just mentioned, how integral they are to everything on Earth. They are so intelligent. They're so multifunctional. They're imperative. I wonder why we don't know so much. Is it because they're underground? Well, I think, you know, I'm looking out the window now and I can see a beautiful birch tree. I can see a pine tree. And they're there all the year round. So if I want to familiarise myself with them, well, I can just go out and I can look and I can touch and yeah. I can feel, I can do various other things. But fungi, and this is part of their appeal, is they're so ephemeral. They come up, most of them in the autumn, you know, but there are spring mushrooms and winter mushrooms as well. And they don't last very long. I mean, some of them can come up, come up in less than 24 hours from, from nothing to produce a cap and a stem and then they, they're mm, gone yeah. um, by, the, by, the, by the morning. So I think that's... Part part of the, the issue, it's, I mean, I think there's some fungi that I've, in, in the 30 years that I've been studying and looking for them, I've seen once. And there's many I've never seen. And that's the case for all people that study fungi. I, I was just, before you, we, we spoke, I was just looking in one of my favourite fungi books, is, which is a two-volume series called The Fungi of Temperate Europe. I thought you might ask me, how many fungi are there, you know? And it's interesting, they say that you know, the estimates for how many fungi there are in the, in the world are between one and a half and five million. Um, wow. It's just a bit unknown. And they said for like every fungus that we do know, and they say, they say about 100,000 are known, that's 15 to 50 that aren't known and haven't been discovered yet. Yeah. So, I mean, amazing. That, that's part of the issue. And as you say, it's that some of them are, are unseen. So when we talk about fungi, I guess most people are thinking of the larger things that you see. But a, a lot of them are like so minute that you, you just can't see them. 
or they don't well they literally don't produce fruiting bodies they just exist as mycelium in the, in the substrate well we and get a lot of questions fergus about mushrooms in the lawn and a lot of listeners ask should we get rid of them asap in the lawn in the garden i guess the questions stem from the worry about them being poisonous which is where you come in i mean your knowledge can literally save lives, I guess, on this subject. You, you look, might look at a mushroom and think, oh, that would be amazing on hot buttered toast. But I think most of us think, oh, no, <laughs> no, I'll go, I'll go down the supermarket instead. You do have to know what you're doing with mushrooms, don't you? Well, you do have to know what you're doing, absolutely. But, but even, even like the term poisonous, okay, some things definitely are poisonous. We think of something like a, a death cap. But there's other fungi, like the classic one, the Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric, the the red one with oh, the white spots. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's both poisonous, medicinal, and edible. It totally depends how you approach it and how you prepare it. Even the death cap, I've seen it in homeopathic doses. So we think of it like that way. It's not always not clear cut what's what's poisonous and, and what isn't. It's how we approach it that will define it. If you weren't eating it, though, would it be safe just to have in a garden environment a, a quantity of, of mushrooms? Oh, well, absolutely, because you know, they're recycling material, breaking down wood. And to be honest, I mean, they're just beautiful and fascinating. Yeah, they are. Occasionally, I do get called by people whose dog might have eaten a mushroom or something they're worried about, it, or occasionally even a, a child. But this is very, very rare. But I, I think the, the best thing, if you've got fungi in your garden and you're thinking of eradicating them, is to actually embrace them and try and take that as a challenge. Like there's these beings in my garden. Now, what are they? What do they do? How, how do they live? How do they grow? Let's watch them. Let's try and find out who they are. Let's get to know them. And there's many ways of doing that. You, know, you can you can ask an expert, you can use mushroom guides, and there's even these days um, various apps that can sometimes be spot on or at least point you in the right direction. I wouldn't bet my life on using a, a, a phone app, by the way, but um, they can certainly put you in the right direction of what it is that you're looking at. Fergus the Forager. It's, it's amazing stuff, Darren. What a fascinating guy. He's brilliant, absolutely superb. And he's obviously very, very passionate about mushrooms, isn't he? And foraging in general, I've got his website up in front of me. And it is something we did discuss, but I didn't have time to sort of in include it in what we're talking about today on the Happy Garden Podcast. But he is hopefully going to spend an entire year, 100%, living on wild foraged food, nothing else. He says he knows lots of people wow. who've done it, That's yeah, and he's going to do it. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. That's brilliant. And also, I'm sure I've spoken to Fergus in years gone by as well, because he's uh, also the roadkill chef. Do you remember the roadkill chef? And literally, he, he, he got the most amazing recipes on yeah. Yeah, stuff that you'd find run over. It's what we should all be doing. Waste really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Nothing goes no. to waste. <laughs> we'll be back with Fergus in a bit, asking if we should be scared of experimenting with mushrooms. And also, Dazzler, we're going down the pickling parlour today. Way! Yay! The pickling like parlour. Pickling parlour. I know, pickling I like parlor the music sounds. on that. Yeah. I'm I like really... the jingle music. You just like yee-hawing. <laughs> yee-haw! Love it. I'll be taking you by the hand and taking you down into my pickling parlour where we will be preserving mushrooms. I didn't even realise this. If you dry oh. them out properly, it's a really simple technique yeah. as well. Um, you can preserve them for about two years. That's such a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, you can you can keep them for a long, long time. 
I'll do it in a little while. And I, for research purposes, in my miso soup last night, I reconstituted some dried um, shiitake mushrooms. And they are totally different to normal, to undried mushrooms. The the umami flavour is so, so intense. Uh, well worth doing. Mm, we're on about food again. <laughs> have you eaten yet today? It's not fair. Yeah, yeah, I've had my breakfast. Oh, nice, what, Jeff? So uh, I'm all right. I just had two rounds of toast and mm. a banana. Oh, nice. It's normally Forked. what I have. It's quite boring. Yeah. Forked. Um, uh, you know, you told me to... Um, I t- yeah, I taught you pop, how to fork. Pop it on me... On me toast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you used to have it sliced, didn't you, until I enlightened you yeah. that if you fork it a lot, yeah. it changes the flavour. Oh, gorgeous. Now, talking <laughs> food, and we did mention this earlier on, and you said mushrooms are very close to us in DNA, closer to us than plants as far as DNA goes. So they're the only sort of food source that produces vitamin D, which makes them unique as well, because they can absorb vitamin D when exposed to UV light sources like the sun. So some sun-grown mushrooms have more than enough vitamin D for our daily recommended allowance. I didn't realise that until I did this research. They're fascinating. And the fact that we don't know a lot about them Mm. is even more fascinating. Mm. Because uh, we're just finding out more and more, aren't we? Fergus is absolutely right. We should embrace them. I love mushrooms. I love looking at mushrooms, like we did the other week. Just, oh, you know, it was a really nice half hour, wasn't it, when we went for that walk? It was, yeah. Just chilling out after our podcast and went and had a look at the horses, didn't we? Yeah. And then uh, had a walk around in the little woodland. Looked so at mushrooms, yeah. Nice, nice. Mushrooms. Nice. Right, shall we start with some of the questions that have come into the Happy Garden podcast? Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, here's the way. If you'd like to get in touch with Molly Green and Darren Rudge at the Happy Garden Podcast, then all you have to do is follow them on social media. Just search for the Happy Garden Podcast. If you'd like to send them an email at the Happy Garden Podcast, you can email thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com. Can we say Happy Garden Podcast just one more time? The Happy Garden Podcast. This came in as we were finishing the podcast last week, Darren, and this is about one of, I think we had four in this week, but I've chosen Roberts to read out. Molly, Darren, loving the new podcast series. Can I request a bit of information on Cyclamen? There are so many in the shops now, big and small, and all sorts of colours. Are these indoor house plants, or should they be in the garden? Whenever I've bought them in the past, at this time of year, they haven't lasted long, so I'm assuming they don't like being indoors, but I'm not sure. Look forward to any advice, Darren, Keep up the smiles. And that's Robert in Wincanton in Somerset. So, Robert, it's a very good question. I have a long answer for you. Are you ready for this, Robert? Indoor and outdoor cyclamen, they're really simple to look after. That's the first thing. So as long as you get the conditions correct, they are very, very simple. First of all, cyclamen uh, like free-draining compost or free-draining soil. So if they're in a, in a pot, they need to be free-draining compost in the pot. Or if they're outdoors, it needs to be free-draining soil. Cyclamen indoors uh, really do well in unheated porches, conservatories, on a windowsill away from radiators and direct light. If plants become too warm, the high temperatures lead to dormancy. And cyclamen don't like freezing temperatures either. Don't let them fall below 10 degrees Celsius. So on a frosty night, what you need to do, folks, is bring them off the windowsills. For outdoor cyclamen, the best position is somewhere sheltered from the elements, perhaps below a tree canopy, away from heavy rain, or even underneath hedgerows is really, really good. The big rule of thumb is the larger the cyclamen, 
the less hardy it will be. If you buy them and they're in a protective structure, say in a glass house, that's a really good indication that they're not hardy. So hardy cyclamen will be outside. Now, here's, here's some choices for you. Choosing your cyclamen. Small flower varieties of tender cyclamen persicum is normally what we get. They're really pretty and you'll find them for pots uh, for indoor colour. They're white, crimson and magenta colours. These are these things that we, we normally find in our garden centres at this particular time of year. They come from the Mediterranean and they grow in deciduous woodlands. You might find them out in the open and the tuber is hidden under rocks and just the leaves and flowers poking out into light. So we need to replicate this uh, indoors. The pots need to be kept cool and out of direct sunlight. Hardy species for the garden like cyclamen coom which is a fantastic little thing. It has little pink flowers in flower right now and uh, cyclamen hedrofolium which flowers in late summer and the leaves following quite close behind with a fresh carpet like in the autumn. And then tricyclamen purpurescens, which are also a good hardy species for outdoor planting. They're pretty easy to look after, folks, as I said, and they're really reliable plants. Maintenance is really easy, finally. Water both outdoor and indoor varieties from the base sparingly, never ever soak. Pick off dead leaves, making sure the whole of the stalk is removed to guard against rotting back into the tuber itself. And that's it. I hope that helps, Robert. It's a long explanation, but there you go. I think, you know, what you're, what you're, what you're seeing as indoor varieties, the bigger ones are going to be less hardy for you. But if you want outdoor varieties, there's two or three to choose from there. Nice. I love that. Thank you, Robert. And thank you, Darren. Love the love the big blousy ones. It's gorgeous. Signifies Christmas is coming, which it is. It's only five weeks away. When you see those in the shops, what's your favourite big blousy colour? I think it's the magenta, the pink. I really love them because it's it's deep as well, isn't it? Mm. But just keep them cool, out of direct sunlight, away from radiators. Yeah. And they'll be fine for you. And you can get them to flower for up to eight weeks. So there you go. I like the big blood red ones. Mm. Although here's a question, Darren. Why do they look so flipping good when you go to Tesco's, Morrison's, Garden Centre, wherever? How much are they? About two ninety nine for big blouses, aren't they? Yeah. Depending on where you go. Although there's a green grocers near us that do them for one ninety nine. Um, so they look so amazing, so fantastic and then you get them home and yes you might follow your instructions i can never get them to to reflower as good how do these outlets have them looking at their absolute best when they're you know they're produced on mass they're delivered they're transported on mass yet when you get them home and give them the absolute individual one-on-one care that they deserve (laughs) they flag how come they're so good in the shops well, I've been treated, so that's the big thing, because I've come from growers that have treated them in a particular way and given them the, the conditions to get them to their maximum, maximum mm. best as a sellable item. And then when once you get them home, first of all, there is a bit of shock that goes into this. So uh, plants right. do go through transplant shock. You need to transport them really, really carefully. It's the same as any house plant that you would actually buy to take them home. Outdoor plants don't tend to suffer too much with travel shock but they do and it takes them a little bit of time so you might just need to give them just a little bit of TLC but instantly you see people will go to food fertilize they need to be they don't look good give them a a pickup but actually leave them alone 
let them get on with it. That tuber that they actually develop from has everything that that plant actually needs to look good and to develop. They might be feeling a little bit peaky, folks, but leave them to get on with things. And they normally come back as long as you get the conditions right. Do you know what I've just thought of listening to you when you talked about transplants, Chuck? What's that? I'm reaching for the diary. <gasps> do you know what we're going to? What you're going to have to do soon? Okay. Yes. I yes. Do. Yes. Talking of transplant shock, what, which podcast shall we talk about poinsettias on? I think we need to leave that. Where are we now? Podcast 11. 11. I think podcast 13. Okay, which will be, <laughs> will we be in December then? End of November, early December, yeah. Where are we now? <laughs> in the middle of November, Who am I? What have I come in here for? What day it's, is it today? It is the 14th For Tuesday the 14th. Today. So a couple of weeks. Couple yeah, of weeks. Couple of weeks. Yeah. And we'll do the... Um, and we'll do the usual do not buy from, from outlets that have them outside on a know, trolley. Do you know, <laughs> do you know, this is the first time ever, Darren, for anybody just joining podcast 11, who doesn't, who doesn't know Darren and I's background. Is that grammatic? Do you know who we were? Who we were. <laughs> Hang on. We've got a jingle for that. Hang on. Molly and Darren. Do you know who we were? <laughs> Darren and I, yeah, were, were BBC fodder for a long time. So we could, we, how did we describe the supermarkets that didn't historically look after their plants? The, with the German ones? Yes. <laughs> we can name them now. We can name them shame yeah. now. I'm still scared though. You feel free if you want, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, there are a few supermarkets who do leave them outside. And on episode 13... The Abbey Garden podcast. Uh, Darren and I. Oh, there's, comp- there's a compost fly in the microphone. <laughs> there was a mouse dropping on the bottom bit earlier. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, what, yes, they tend to leave them outside. Even some of the supermarkets. Where was I? Where was I last year? And I had to go to customer services. It was Sainsbury's. Yeah. And they were in the doorway in Sainsbury's. And, yeah. I, and I went up and I said, look, you're selling dead plants. You can't keep them in this draft. And they did move them, to be honest. But there are some certain supermarkets <coughs> that do keep them outside. But as Darren will tell you on episode 13, they're already dying. So don't waste your money. Anyway, that's, um, there we go. I'm going to put the diary back. There you go. We'll be back with Fergus the Forager very shortly. Earlier we talked about what mushrooms are. We're going to be talking about whether we should do more experimentation with them. But at my stare, and I did just mention the dropping that was on the microphone when I sat down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you seen my Facebook page this week? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, l- uh, lasagna, wasn't it? Was it spaghetti? Spaghetti, like yeah. I haven't yeah. put the lasagna picture on yet, but I w- <laughs> it will probably be up by the time this podcast's released. <laughs> it's definitely been in the pasta drawer. So, yeah, in the week, I mean, you've been here and there was droppings around when you were here. Yeah, lovely place you're here. <laughs> I am not the only one on the Facebook page this week. In fact, let me get it up. I put a picture up that I found in the spare room wardrobe of a Doc Martin shoe filled with spaghetti. And there are mice coming in to our house. And the thing is, though, Darren, when I put it up on the Facebook page, there are mice in everybody's house and their cars. Have you ever had a mouse nest in the engine of your car? No, but I have a really scary story about a mouse nest in somebody's car. Go on then. Well, uh, I, have, I had a friend uh, had a small holding. They used to have a van because they were landscapers and they used mm. to have a car. So when they went anywhere posh, they used to go in the car 
and obviously when they went to work, they went in the van. Well, the car used to sit there for quite a, quite a while, and one day they got in the car and they started the car, and it wouldn't start. So they had a mechanic that they came in to look at the car. There was a mouse family in there that had eaten all the electrics. It cost them an absolute arm and a leg to actually uh, refurbish the car. That's there you go. There's mice for you. Well, Darren, that's commonplace here. <laughs> you, you say that like that's a story out of the ordinary. I can't believe you haven't had a mouse nest in your car. I thought everyone had. No, not in the car. Oh. Not in the car, no. Well, my friend Julia had one in, in the back seat. They chewed through all the, the back seat of her car. You had one in the middle of your bread. Oh, yeah, 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 last year. Yeah. I was I was told that it was actually the dough. Yeah, an air no, hole during baking. No, <laughs> no. I, f- I found the little critter in the yeah. dog's um, food. Biscuits. <laughs> You're so lucky. The bottom you've of the bin. You've only ever had one. But there again, I, I don't know whether no. it's because I'm quite rural or it might be because I have a lot and lot of animals here. So as, as good as I try and keep the husbandry. And, and my husband has, well, you've seen it. My husband's got like 15 bird feeders outside and we've got the catching yeah. trays and everything. But you do get to try to see there and everywhere and as clean as we try to be. Anyway, as I said earlier, just before you and I joined each other to do the podcast, I was releasing, was it three mice this morning? All in one humane trap. I've got them everywhere. They love sunflower seeds. I've, I've tried different things in the different traps. It's the sunflower seeds that get them. Because you're quite rural, like you say. You yeah. will get them to come in more than us. I mean, we've got... I think we've got more than one mouse, I must admit. Um, there's <laughs> granola and things like that. Scuttling yeah, right. you can hear them in the walls. <laughs> hear them in the walls. It's quite <laughs> freaky. Oh, somebody on the, one of my Facebook comments said that they had rats in the walls. Couldn't Obviously couldn't get to mm. them. But when obviously when they died, their smell... Mm. Anyway, on a a more positive note, (laughs) if you do want to deter mice, and as Darren said, they're coming in, it's it's autumn, everything, we talked about spiders last week, everything comes in, ladybirds are in the cracks, things want to share our house, and you know, you've got to be generous, but to a point. So if you do want to deter mice, their sense of smell is very, very strong, I've been doing a bit of research on this. If you spread these smells around your garden with particular focus on troublesome areas like food sources and nesting spots, uh, regularly you will notice a difference. So scents that deter mice. Indoors, cinnamon, vinegar, peppermint, tea bags, which I hadn't heard of, mint, ammonia. I've got plenty of that with the cat litter tray. Cloves. (laughs) Cayenne pepper. So if you stick any of those on like a cotton ball or whatever and and put them around. And then if you've got them in the summer outside, plants that deter mice, and you'll know this, Darren, lavender, marigolds, Mm -hmm. daffodils, grape hyacinth, tomatoes, black pepper, again, peppermint and onions. I mean, you won't get rid of them, but it does deter them, apparently. So just some of the scents that you could try. Well, buy a cat. (laughs) <laughs> well, people kept saying on Facebook, but my cats are 19 and a half, yeah, so yeah. They, they'd literally just watch it and go, all right. Well, we got we got a 15-year-old cat, and he's still a good mouser. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, he Will is. he catch yeah, them? He loves it. Yeah, he plays. He's... Uh, they're very know, cruel. I know, this, no, because yeah. they're he, very. They just play. They don't kill. They just play with them, don't he they? He does. He plays with them. <laughs> so, and he brings pigeons in and things as well. Molly. Does so, he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's only a small cat as well. 
So he's, he's walking down the path with his pigeon that's trying to take off. Oh, God. And he literally lifts off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so this cat bouncing along with his pigeon and we're just trying to take him off it. Wow. A cat with huge kahunas. Are the pigeons all right? <laughs> yeah, the pigeons are Brilliant. fine. Honestly, they normally fly away. <laughs> Uh, anyway, with mice, get in touch if, if you've had success in eradicating and you'll know if you've listened to all the episodes of the Happy Garden Podcast. We're very environmental. We're very, you know, share and share alike with this planet. I don't want any stories of, 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 of horrible traps or anything like that. But if you've used the humane traps and you've successfully eradicated mice, um, let us know if you've got any tips or tricks. Well, so I'm going to have to use the loo. Sorry. Oh, that's all right, is it? Honestly, sincerely, yeah, yeah, I need to go, go for the tiddle. All right, I'll be back in a, a sec. A tiddle. Sorry, yeah, tiddle. Go Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. It's the age, it's the age. Getting old. I know. <laughs> Getting old. God. I'll keep, um, I'll keep his microphone open in case he falls. Oh, he's going upstairs. <clears throat> I'll just monitor him, though, in case there's a... Uh, in case he yells out. <laughs> Poor Darren. We're all listening. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Oh, the dirty bugger. He's coming back down and he hasn't flushed. I'm back. Sorry. Well, we can all hear you back, but Darren, <laughs> we'd nobody heard you flush, you dirty article. <laughs> Have you left it there to stew? No, I did flush. Well, <laughs> microphone tells otherwise. <laughs> you haven't, have you? Go back up and flush. Okay. Go on. Oh, Go on. I'm talking for all women God. around the world. Go back up and flush. Poor Mrs. Darren. I heard that. Oh! <laughs> Poor Darren. I heard that. I heard the flush. I missed a step. Oh, is that... <laughs> well, two things. I heard the flush, so well done. And secondly, God. I think it's the older you get, you either... Your brain doesn't compute the first step or the last step. No. I know, I've started doing that. <laughs> you know, when old people fall over in the shoreline, you see it on You've Been Framed all the time. Do you know what I mean? When the wave comes in and you get all discombobulated and just fall over, that's what happens with the first and last step as you get Are you older. you trying to say I'm old? Yeah. <laughs> Because I do it as well. I have a very weak bladder, just like. No, that's why we monitored you. We monitored you going up and we monitored you coming down, just in just case, case there's an emergency. Yeah, you needed emergency. to ring the emergency mm. service. Are you on your own in the house? Thank I am. You. I am, and well, me. apart from the two dogs. Yeah, me too. So there's no Mrs. Rudge and there's no Mr. Green, so we've got to look after each other, Darren. Yeah. Okay. We, would you phone 999 if you heard something untoward? Yeah, yeah, we all would. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All> great. <laughs> Safety in numbers, Darren. It's good to know. Safety in numbers. Shall we get back to <laughs> Fergus the Forager? What are we doing now? Hang on. What sheet are we on? Wait a second. I can, I can see somebody, you know, uh, picking up the podcast about 
three weeks after it's gone out and phoning 999. But no one, no one knows where you live. They just know you live somewhere around Blockswitch. Oh, he died three weeks ago. <laughs> the neighbours reported a smell. <laughs> I'd seen you. They thought it was a dead rat in the wall, but no, it was Darren. Oh, dear. Look, I've completely lost our place now. What are we doing? Are we doing the guide to compost or are we going back to Fergus? You can do the guide to compost if you want to. You're in control. Well, we'll go back to Fergus then. <laughs> OK, okay. then. <laughs> Let's do Fergus. <laughs> He's next on my sheet. Right, we'll get back to our Fergus and then next, yes, we'll be doing Darren's Guide to Compost because we've had a lovely question from Sarah, who is a newbie by our own admission. Ooh. Yes, thanks for helping a newbie. Her email finishes with. So uh, Sandra's asked a question about literally where do you start and who, who the heck is John Innes? So we'll do that for you very shortly. But back to Fergus. So earlier on we were talking about what mushrooms are in general and now we talk about whether we should do more experimentation with them. Well, absolutely. And I feel a little bit sorry for the, the humble um, or maybe not so humble should be celebrated button mushroom because you know it can be amazing <laughs> yeah and particularly like button mushrooms white button mushrooms are also incredibly medicinal as well but in terms of the whole range i mean you know colors and textures and flavors it's enormous and there's there's way more to enjoy than just your your, your common button mushroom mm. as nice as that is but, but then as you allude to so all the things you can do with them you don't just have to go savory you can go sweet um, you can ferment them you can turn them in all, into all sorts of weird things you'd never think was possible such as meringues and hummus and custard and candied things really <laughs> yeah. custard mushrooms. Yeah, really. <laughs> but i work a lot with amanita muscaria fly agaric you, you know it can be used both medicinally and and from an edibility point of view, but it's also toxic. But like other foods like that exist in, in, in the world that people do eat that are initially toxic, they can be rendered safe by detoxing. But you've got to know very specifically how to do yeah. that. Then once you've done that, also once you've really detoxed the life after something like a mushroom or got the flavour out of it that's really intensely mushroomy because you just want to use its substrate as a vehicle for putting in other flavors that's when you can start including like sweet flavors and all sorts of things and the lovely thing about working with mushrooms in that way is that if you took a plant which is mainly cellu well it is cellulose based and you cook that and cook that for ages because you wanted to kind of get the flavor out all you'd be left with is just a load of mush whereas if you do that with mushrooms because their their structural building blocks are chitin it doesn't go to a mush it just firms up mm. you just have this amazing structure that you can kind of put other other flavors in all the things that you could classically make with mushrooms anyway like risottos and and stews you can do that with a whole range of fungi not just button mushrooms or or the kind of open cap ones and and just have a, a just amazing range of textures and and new flavors that you just couldn't imagine were possible so yeah really really worth exploring and how do you make mushroom paper mushroom paper well there are whew, how many have i worked with I've, I've worked with about 30 mushrooms where i've made successful paper with but the main one i work with is one which many of your listeners have probably have seen and it's called birch polypore and it's kind of a it's kind of brown on top and it, it kind of grows on birch trees 
you often fallen trunks. It can be kind of live trees, but uh, kind of a dead branch or something. If you get one time of year, so really kind of October, November, and you feel it, it's like um, I was reminded of when I was kind of younger, I used to watch Britain's Strongest Man. There were people trying to rip telephone directories in half. Yes, well, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, birch polypore is a bit like that. You get a big one and you try and tear it. It's kind of rubbery and it just it you can't you can't do it but if you chop it up and blend it with water to the consistency of wallpaper paste and then put it in a frame and decal that you would use to make paper and get all the water out of it you can make amazing paper and one kind of average size which is probably is about as big as my kind of two open hands and i have average size hands you could probably get about 20 bits of a4 out of that so it's pretty amazing stuff and this is what you teach on or just one of the things that you teach on your courses, Fergus? Well, it's so funny because I, I put all my courses up yesterday, which is super organised for me because I often don't get around to it before Christmas. But anyway, <laughs> I was looking at one course that I, I like to do, but I realised I haven't done it for five years, which is making paper out of mushrooms. Mm. So I reinstated that one. Because once you've made paper out of mushrooms, like you can make books out of mushrooms. Back in 2012, and it took three years to, to create... With a, with a friend and various other artists, um, I created a so over a hundred page book just made out of mushrooms, and the ink was made out of mushrooms as well. And wow. illustrations were from mushrooms and other plant botanicals. So, and then you can make boxes and you can make envelopes and if you like making paper aeroplanes, well, why not make it out of a mushroom with a paper in? It, you know. Gosh. Um, and if ever we have another lockdown, lamp. you can just eat your books. Well, exactly, exactly. You can make seriously. You can make medicinal mushroom boxes, which you Gosh. can put mushroom. Well, I've so I've made presents for, for for friends where I've made mushroom boxes and I've put candied chocolate mushrooms inside the oh. mushroom box, which is real, and then wrapped it in mushroom paper, which is like you know. But for your fungi-loving friends, I mean, what could be a, a more lovely gift? Oh, that <laughs> is know? smashing. And the work and the love that's gone into that. Oh, that's lovely. Well, exactly. It, it is so satisfying as well. Um, partly because, you know, when you're doing something like that, it's a bit quirky and absurd. And you know your friends <laughs> are going to really appreciate it. You know? Well, yeah. do you know, talking of Christmas presents, though, Fergus, we've been mentioning this for the last few weeks in the run-up to Christmas because it's not that far away. And in fact, we say this every year, yeah, nobody really wants stuff, you know, going out. I've got 20 quid to spend. Let's go and buy some stuff that's going to end up in the charity shop in January. So we've been talking about yeah. gifts, you know, experiences, and uh, you know, learning and something that really counts. And your courses, I think, are right up there. What kind of things do you offer that people might be able to sort of buy as a present for somebody? What courses do you well, do? Yeah, but yeah. Well, I do lots of them like throughout the year. Um, I do gift vouchers for them. And, and to be honest, I get most of my bookings at, at Christmas or mm. also throughout the year. But I do, you know, I do fungi courses. So that's, they can be like shorter courses. And for me, a short course is about four hours long. That might be a long time for some people. But then, you know, eight hour courses on fungi where we not just identify and learn all about them and taste all sorts of kind of definitely delicious things that I've made with them as, as we go. Mm. But we also feast as well, have a three course feast, wild food based feast. Oh, nice. But I also do not just fungi, but throughout the year, other wild food courses where we're just looking at the range of wild foods, wild plants, sometimes including fungi, because even in the spring there can be fungi that are available throughout the year 
Fergus the Forager, you're the new black. The new black. <laughs> you are. Trailblazing is what you are. What is your website for people to, to find out more about you, maybe book a course, some recipes are on there. It's, it's a fascinating website. Let us let us know yeah, what it is. Yeah, lots of stuff on there. It's fergustheforager.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, Fergus, it has been so gorgeous to meet your acquaintance and, and hopefully you'll be a good friend of the Happy Garden podcast. There's so much that we can talk about, so hopefully we'll, uh, we'll speak oh, to you again so, soon. so much more I'd like to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Well, we'll speak soon. Thanks again. Lovely to speak to you. Fergus the Forager. I love him. Do you know, if you met him, Darren, you'd probably be best mates because going down Darren's larder, all you do is, is forage and cook. So you'd get on ever so well. Yeah. It'd be a right bromance. He's brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. What a brilliant guy. What a find. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep hold of him. I'm, we'll keep friends with him. I'm amazed. And, you, you know, the, the, the consequence of all this is, you know when we went to Chelsea this year, Moles? Yeah. One exhibit we didn't get to because there was so much to look at was two ladies recycle <laughs> Hang old, on a sec. Hang on a second. Books. One thing we didn't get to because you were stalking Brian May... Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Well, I just had to, didn't I? <laughs> I'm sorry. As he walked past, I just, I just looked and just thought, he's brilliant, That's right? Brian May. <laughs> Let's follow him. Anyway, go on. And I went all week at the knees. I know, bless you. <laughs> but this exhibit was two ladies that are recycling books. And what they do is they take some mycelium and they're literally... Uh, sprinkle the mycelium into the book. And you grow mushrooms in these old books. Ooh. And it's absolutely superb. So you, you can have an edible book, just like Fergus was saying. They've done it, done it with all sorts of paperbacks and hardbacks and things like that. But it made a wonderful, wonderful exhibit. It was absolutely superb. I didn't yeah. realise that was there. Yeah. Do you know, if we go, yeah. if we go next year to Chelsea, yeah. we ought to make yeah. a concerted effort for the first time ever to, like, to look at the garden. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Darren and I are just sat on a bench going, oh, look at this, Nigel Havers. Oh, there's Michael Eseltine. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Bloody hell, there's Brian May. I know. <laughs> he was so sweet, wasn't he? I mean, he was lovely. Oh, they all are. All celebs love Chelsea. Um, Joanna Lumley's probably... For, for your, yours was Brian May, your, your, it was, uh, yeah. your number one. Mine... That was an ultimate. Yeah, for me it was Joanna Lumley. Oh, and you know, I do not wash that shoulder because he put his arm oh, around me, I know, me, folks, he touched you. And he rested his arm on my yeah. right shoulder. And it's still never been washed. We'll have to put that up that on, the, on the Facebook page, yeah. don't we? Yeah. yeah. Facebook, by the way, if ever you want to, to comment on anything we're talking about, anything you'd like Darren to delve into, to investigate. Um, and with the Garden Podcast, the Happy Garden Podcast, the possibilities are endless. It doesn't have to be gardening. If it's anything in the garden like decking or turf or fencing or anything at all you want Darren to investigate, you can get in touch. It's the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com or you can head to our Facebook, which again is the Happy Garden Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Darren, I've got my iPad on my knee and yeah. Susan Giles has just commented uh, <laughs> on my Facebook. I've got Facebook, Molly Green, Molly with an IE. Darren has got his Facebook, Darren Rudge. And of course, we've got the podcast Facebook, uh, as you've just heard, the Happy Garden podcast. And I've, I put this picture of the Doc Martin filled with spaghetti, Darren, because of the mass problem in the mm -hmm. house. 
And Susan has just said, Molly, last year I caught 24 field mice in a humane trap in my kitchen. <laughs> 24. Wow. They were queuing to come in. <laughs> there, was e- <laughs> there was even scratch marks on the outside of the trap as they were wanting to get to the food. <laughs> uh, or was it that there was just a couple, really, and they kept coming back in for the grub? Strangest thing, uh, nothing was chewed, but then I did find the hole was outside that they were coming in in and having a feast and then going back out i should have taken them miles away but they might have had family oh god love you susan that's my problem as well i don't want to take them too far away in case you know they've got friends here so i made a little tube with a straw in the front garden where i fed the birds so i knew that they were being fed they look so sweet with big ears and eyes and tiny body how could anybody kill them oh susan that's nice that's lovely do mice home do they home Yeah. Do they? Yeah. They, will, they? They will, yeah. They'll definitely have a... Well, they have a nest, don't they? And they do look after their young. We were going to do an interview with the Woodland Trust, but I haven't got round to it this week. Maybe maybe we should. I don't know if they home. Mm. Anyway, be kind, anyway. <laughs> right, what page are we on now? Page three. <laughs> we actually are on page three. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. So we've done that, we've done that. But it's that. three of ten. No, no, it's only three of four, so you're OK. Hooray! Oh, Yay! Yes. So we've done that, we've done that. We've done Fergus. Compost. It is compost, Darren. <laughs> well done, I'm glad wow, I sent I you over my read notes. read you like a book. No, no, I sent you my notes. OK, Darren, let's do the guide to compost. So this was a question from Sandra in the week. The Happy Garden podcast email is... The Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. So, question from Sandra. Molly, Darren, I'm new to gardening. I've been dabbling since lockdown, but only with shop-bought flowers and plants. I'd like to start growing and propagating my own plants now, but I'm completely lost when it comes to compost. At the garden centre, I just stare at the mountains of bags and pick the one closest. Oh, my goodness, Sandra, we've all been here. I've no idea either who John Innes is. What is the difference between all these bags and does it really make that much of a difference to what I grow? Thank you for helping a newbie and that's from Sandra. So over to you, our Darren. Oh, would you like a, a bit of music to do a compost special on? Would can you? do if you like. It would okay. be nice to have a little bit of background, wouldn't it? Here we go. Oh, this oh, is nice. Lovely. Oh, compost special. Oh, go. I might, I might go to sleep. No, don't. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sandra... We all know how confusing choosing compost can be. When you walk into your garden centre or your DIY store, the vast array that's presented to you. Firstly, you want to consider what you're actually going to do with that compost. So, for example, if you're sowing seed, you need to look for seed compost. If you're potting plants, then really you need to look for potting compost. But then you've got the decision between peat-free or loam-based. So... What's the best compost for you? For most general gardeners, and as a new gardener, you'll probably go for a multi-purpose compost. So multi-purpose compost is really good, although you may have to add things to it just to lighten it up. A one-fix-all seems a great idea, doesn't it, folks? But it doesn't quite work for some specialised situations. So multi-purpose compost is great, but you might have to put some vermiculite or some grit or some perlite in there just to lighten it up or make it a a bit more free-draining for what you need to do. But for general situations, multi-purpose would be the one to go for. 
If you're dealing with houseplants, a good houseplant compost is a must, okay? It's the best to buy. And then if you've got plants that grow in specific situations, again, for example, if you've got acid-loving plants, an ericaceous compost is the one to go for because pH is vitally important. Uh, it restores restricts nutrients and can actually kill your plants. So if you want to put an acid plant into an alkaline soil, they would surely die. Peat-free is best. There are some really good alternatives. And, of course, from 2024, folks, you won't be able to buy peat-based compost anymore. Johnning is, is loam-based or soil-based and is used when we need a little bit of weight because it's heavy. So if you've got pots outside and they blow over in the autumn storms, then use a loam-based compost. John Innes was just basically a person that loved to garden and decided to leave his fortune for gardeners and that uh, helped to develop what was called the John Innes Institute and a range of compost, John Innes number one, two, three and four. And the number difference, Sandra, is just the amount of fertiliser. For every number change, it just doubles up. So John Innes number one, you might use for seeds. John Innes number two, potting and so forth and so on. And finally, read reviews and pay a little attention also to my advice. As you pay good money for your plants, the root environment is the most essential part of healthy plant growth. So choose carefully and remember there is never ever a bargain. They're a bargain for a particular reason. So my advice to you, Sandra, would be pay a little bit extra for your multi-purpose compost and you can't go far wrong. And I hope that helps you. Darren, that was lovely. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that was lovely. Thank you very much. And I hope that helps, Sandra. Um, and let us know. Let us know with your gardening journeys. Because we love it, don't we, Darren? If someone's starting on the gardening journey, not just for lockdown, but, you know, any, any time that somebody discovers gardening and just how therapeutic and cathartic it can be for your mental and physical health we'd like to follow your journey yeah and and it's great to know that people have suddenly discovered this mm. and uh, and are getting so much from it yeah please get in touch folks let us know how you getting on share some pictures love photos don't we we do you can adore them. post them to the happy garden podcast facebook page <sighs> darren would you like uh, another mushroom joke go on it's then. not sexist it's ageist Ageist, okay. Then. It's, it's a bit appropriate, it's... isn't it? <laughs> did you snort? Then? I did. I snort because I was just remembering you going. I remember. I just remember that I instructed you to go back up and flush, and that just amused me. Your wife will be very pleased with me. What does a mushroom buy when it's having a midlife crisis? I don't know. A sports car. <laughs> Laugh more, Darren. <laughs> it has to sink in a little bit. <laughs> spores. A spores car. car. I've got one of those in my jokes. You, you, I was going to say, you've actually got a spores car, but it's on bricks, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> Darren tells everyone he's got a spores car, but I know I it's on bricks. Yeah, well, it's got three wheels. <laughs> But you still do technically have a yeah, midlife yeah. crisis sports yeah. car. I look at it every day. I know, yeah, it doesn't go. It's on bricks. And I think, I must get that running one of these days. <laughs> Love you, Darren. The Happy Garden Podcast.
another fungi fact, Darren? Go on, then. This is really, really interesting for the future of humanity. Fungi can glow in the dark, so some mushrooms are bioluminescent. So they achieve this thanks to luciferins. <laughs> the same compounds that make fireflies light up at night. This ability is used to attract insects. They then spread the mushroom spores elsewhere in the forest, allowing the fungi to reproduce. And it's thought that in the future, bioluminescent fungi could be used as eco-street lighting. Now that blows your mind. It's a fabulous idea. Yeah. I think we just need to need to need to do it. <laughs> we don't, don't we don't harness nature. If we actually appreciated exactly what nature can do and harnessed it. I mean that's absolutely amazing. Instead of using fossil fuels and you know sort of raping the planet, using fungi to our advantage. It's a win-win. Yeah, I I read a piece in a magazine last week about glowworms because we don't see them. There is actually a group that's actively growing glowworms to introduce and put back into our countrysides. Yeah, because... Here in the UK? In the UK, yeah, yeah. Because of all the street lighting deters them from actually um, breeding as a species. So they're putting them in in areas where street street lighting doesn't exist so they can have a a habitat to actually live and breathe. Well, street lighting confuses them because it's the females that glow. The males obviously don't see them, can't see them if it's it's lit. It's been a massive problem for them. We've almost lost them. Are glowworms native to... Or were they? Yeah, they're native to this country, yeah. Would you like another fungi joke, Darren? Go on, man. Go on. Well, you said earlier on about the breakfast you've had with your uh, forked banana on toast. Yes. Well, do you know, Darren, eating mushrooms in the morning, actually, is the breakfast of uh, of uh, champignons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Yeah. I've just, I've laid just... down the, you know. <laughs> the, the gauntlet Exactly. There, so it? your jokes are coming shortly. Good luck, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go down Molly's pickling parlour before we do anything go on, else? Let's okay. go. Yeah! Yeah! I'm not laughing in the garden because I ain't been tickled. I'm going in the garden because I want to get pickled. It's Molly's pickling parlour. Marvellous. We'll go down Darren's larder next week if that's all right. Yeah. All right, but for today we're going down Molly's pickling parlour. Let me take you down by the hand. Hold on, Darren. Yeah, I'll grab this. Well, I'm trying to line dance as we're doing this. (laughs) Come down the steps. Now, we're talking about drying mushrooms today. We've already heard from Fergus the Forager just how versatile mushrooms are. If you've got the cojones to have an experimentation and you know what you're doing, then here we go. Now, dried mushrooms have a distinct and concentrated flavour that many people find highly appealing. They don't taste like fresh mushrooms i can concur because i had my miso soup last night with dried mushrooms and the flavor i'm a vegan but they were meaty texture very umami texture very very deep texture the drying process does intensify the mushrooms flavor particularly as i say with its umami qualities making dried mushrooms prized for their rich and earthy taste and the concentrated flavor can add depth and complexity to dishes like stews soups and sauces 
So, if you want to choose suitable types of wild mushrooms, and please rewind this and have a listen to uh, to Fergus the Forager's sort of guide to foraging, please be careful if you are picking wild mushrooms. But those with robust flavours and firm textures are Pocini, Chanterelles, Morels, Field and Parasol, Bluets, they're particularly suitable for drying as well. And shop-bought mushrooms like shiitake, oyster, chestnut and white are all suitable for this method. So, get your mushrooms. The thickness depends on your preference, really. You can adjust the thickness of slices. Thinner slices obviously will dry faster but will become brittle, whilst thicker slices retain more texture. And consider various slicing techniques like julienne, thick stripes or coin-shaped slices, depending on your intended use. And you can leave them whole, but of course drying will take longer if you do so. So blanching your mushrooms before drying is optional. And the drying techniques, you can either sun dry, oven dry or dehydrate. And of course, a lot of people have got air fryers with the dehydrate functions, but they do take an awful long time. As we're all watching the pennies, I'm going to talk about air drying on the Happy Garden podcast. Now, air drying, it's so easy. It's basically hanging mushrooms to air dry. In a well-ventilated area, it can take longer than other methods. It can take about a week or more, but the drying time will depend on the environmental conditions, the humidity, the airflow, and as I've already said, how thick you cut them. Air drying couldn't be easy. You can either place the mushrooms on a wire rack or tray, ensuring good airflow underneath. You can also thread the mushrooms onto twine to make a string or a necklace out of the mushrooms. You just have to place them in a well-ventilated area. Any area of the house with a ready supply of fresh air will do. In the sort of direct sun, if you possibly can. Seven to ten days until they don't give when they're squeezed. And that's it. That is literally it. When stored in an airtight container after the method just described or a vacuum-sealed bag in a cool, dark place away from moisture and direct sunlight, these dried mushrooms can last for up to two years or even longer. And rehydrating the mushrooms is a culinary adventure that not only revives the fungi's delightful texture but also yields a precious elixir known as liquid gold. As the dried mushrooms soak in the warm water for about 30 minutes, they release a rich and intensely flavoured broth that captures the very essence of these fungi. The wild mushroom-infused soaking liquid is a treasure trove of umami and it should not go to waste. So once you've rehydrated your mushrooms, don't forget to save this liquid gold. It's a valuable addition to any culinary uh, repertoire. You can use it in soups, stews, risottos, sauces and any excess can be put in ice cube trays and frozen. And Darren, as we move towards Christmas, and we've been mentioning on the Happy Garden podcast for a f- few weeks now, this sort of idea would be an amazing present. Bung it on the list, a string of dried mushrooms or a beautiful kilner jar of home-dried fungi. A lovely, thoughtful, homemade gift. Although I would definitely do it with the shop-bought mushrooms if you're going to give them away. Uh, imagine getting a gift from a mate who said, yeah, yeah, I'll find them in the park. <laughs> that, wouldn't <be> quite so- <laughs> that wouldn't be quite so good. But if you want to do this uh, for a friend, for a present, what a fabulous idea. It's Molly's Pickling Palette. What do you think of that, Tesla? It's brilliant. I know what I'm getting for Christmas now. A string... <laughs> A, a necklace. <laughs> a necklace of mushrooms. Shiitake mushrooms. Anyway, right, what sheet are we on now? Four. Actually, Darren, we're nearly done. 
Wow. I know. <laughs> but we do have a really, this is a really, really interesting question, Darren, from Liz in Four Oaks that came in on the Happy Garden podcast at gmail.com. Hello, Molly and Darren. I'm enjoying the podcasts very much. Thank you, Liz. I garden veganically, so never use any animal byproducts such as blood, fish or bone on my allotment. Everything does well, but I'd like to know if Darren has any ideas for how to boost the goodness in the earth even more. I use homemade compost and seaweed extract. Thank you very much. And that's Liz in Four Oaks. It's a really interesting one because I remember speaking to you about blood, fish and bone before. And I remember asking you in years gone by, where does it come from? And you did do a deep delve and it is slaughterhouse. It is a byproduct without getting into it too yeah. much. Yeah, it's well, you can imagine. You can imagine it. Over to you, Darren. Yeah, so Liz, that's fine. You know, totally and utterly fine. You've got everything that you need already on your allotment, I would guess, to garden veganically. If you're using compost, then that's brilliant. The other things to consider are nettles, comfrey, those sorts of things. So you can make compost teas. It's literally taking those things like nettles and comfrey and borage, breaking them down, putting them into, make sure you snap the stems, make sure you snap the leaves, get them into a, a bucket, fill that bucket with water and then essentially leave it for around about three weeks. Stir once a week and then you'll have a concentrate that you can actually use to, to fertilise your plants and to boost your plants. And the dilution rate is uh, 10 parts water to one part concentrate so just make sure that you get that you can just put comfrey leaves directly on the soil and weight it down with straw and cardboard and things like that and let nature take its course so the wriggly worms and all the beasties and the bugs will eventually come up and basically bring it into uh, into the ground they'll assimilate it for you and that's what you want have a look at lasagna gardening where you build these layers of cardboard grass clippings your kitchen waste and you just build it layers and and layers and layers of these things and eventually it breaks down to give you this wonderful 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 soil texture and soil structure so there's many many different things that you can look at without using products like blood fish and bone bone meal which are slaughterhouse derivatives at the end of the day so and i fully understand your point of view uh, if you don't want to use them, then you've already got that stuff at home or on your allotment to already use and to bring into your allotment space. Have a go and see how you get on with things like lasagna gardening. How about straw bale gardening, where you buy a straw bale, you take the inside out and you actually grow in the bale itself. You hardly need to use any compost at all there. And you've got immediate raised beds that actually break down organically and you can actually pop onto your allotment after you've used them and utilised them. They're fully insulated because straw does that and you can sow seeds in them, you can grow food crops in them. There's some wonderful, wonderful out ideas out there and have a look at no dig systems because uh, that's the way gardening and horticulture is going, not to dig because digging destroys natural networks that we actually need for our plants and food to grow. I hope that answers your question, Liz. If not, give us another uh, text or email, however you got in touch. Um, but just let us know if the advice is welcome, has actually spurred you on to do some other things in your allotment space. There you go, Moles. What do you think of that? Darren, as you know, I'm a vegan. And it's very easy just to, you know, sort of bat around the fish blood and bone. Yeah, use it. But when you stop and be mindful what that is and where it's come from. If you imagine in your, in yeah. your mind's eye where that's come from. It's, it's good to be mindful well, and, and make a conscious decision as to whether you want to actually use that and purchase it and add to the industry. 
Exactly. And we should only be using fertilisers when it's absolutely necessary. In truth, organic fertilisers are a lot better than inorganic fertilisers mm. because organic fertilisers feed the soil as well as the plant, whereas inorganic fertilisers, those are chemically derived, only feed the plant and actually can kill uh, the things that we want in and around our root system of our plants. So, you know, um, we just need to be, like you say, Mo uh, Molly, really mindful about fertilisers in general because we've just been indoctrinated and told that, you know, you should in the spring spread fertiliser all over the place. It's not necessary, folks. Yeah. If you get your soil right, if you get the soil right, get the soil conditions right, you no need to use fertiliser at all. And with simple as that, with fish blood and bone, ethically speaking, do your research so you know where it comes from, and then you can make an informed yeah. choice. Thank you, Liz, for your question. That's fabulous. Any questions that you have for our Dazzler, it is the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. Darren, should we lighten the mood? Shall we lighten the mood with some yes. gardening jokes for the week ahead? Let's do it. Do you think you can surpass my already brilliant mushroom gags? Um, I think I'm five out of ten at the moment. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll see. It's about time for some Alan Titters. Okay. Brace yourself for your gardening jokes of the week from Darren Rudge. Let's be having you then, Darren. Molly. Yes? What do you call a retired vegetable? Vegetable retired. Oh, do you know? I don't know. A has-been... Oh, has been. <laughs> good. Good. You know, good. Good. Sure? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Okay. Yep. Number two. Yep. What do you call a cauliflower that's growing at the edge of a garden? Edge of cauliflower. Couldn't tell you. A border collie? Oh, Darren! They're on fire. That's good. Good. You can have two of those. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, have two of them. Good. Thank you. Got two. <laughs> Number three, then. What's a librarian's favourite vegetable? Books. Pages. Oh, I don't know. Quiet peas. Quiet peas. <laughs> Very pleased with you already today. Yep, good. Why is it hard to get angry with a yam? I love the word yam. It's very black country. I don't know. <laughs> because they're such sweet potatoes. Oh, good, Darren. <laughs> Love you, <Elf. laughs> Number five, yes. finally. Yes. <laughs> there was once a girl that only ate plants, Molly. You've probably never heard of her before. Herbivore? Can't say I get that. <laughs> say again. Herbivore? Do it all again. Oh, God. It don't work if I've got to explain it. Try. <laughs> there was once a girl, girl that only ate plants. plants. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You've probably never heard of Herbivore. Oh, Herbivore! Darren! <laughs> no, that was really good. I'm quite... <laughs> Hard work sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, that was really good. They were on par with my mushroom jokes. You think? Yeah. Great. Loved them, loved them, <laughs> loving it large. Nice one, Darren. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Why do mushroom children behave so well? 
I don't know. Because they don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> don't be kind, Darren. That wasn't as good as yours. That's no, good. Don't want to get into trouble. That's when you get into trouble. Okay. <laughs> no, yours were exceptional. Thank you for that, Darren. We are nearly done. Oh, thank you. On the Happy Garden. Do you know what we haven't done on the Happy Garden podcast? Considering we've been talking about mice as well as mushrooms today, we haven't had any singing from you on mice. Singing from me? Yes, on mice. Mice. Under the stairs. I oh, can't yeah. remember the song. <laughs> I'll join in if you start. What's the song about mice on the stairs? Come on, Darren. Sing it. Sing it, Darren. <laughs> There's a mouse. A mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam. Damn. A windmill with mousing and wasn't a grousing. He sang every morning. How lucky yeah, I, I am. Living in a windmill in old Amsterdam. <laughs> I saw a mouse. Where? Where? There on the stair. Right Where there. on the stair. Right, right there. A little mouse with clogs on. Oh. Where I declare. Yeah, Going yeah, yeah. clip, clippity, clop clip on the, the stairs. Stair. Right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, then. Good. First they had triplets and then they had queens. Yes. A windmill with queens in and triplets and twins in. They sang every morning. How lucky we are. Living in a windmill in Amsterdam. And it goes on. All right, I was going to say we should have left it at the first verse. But Darren, that's amazing. Because his daughters got married. Yeah. And then... You know, oh, there's a whole story. Yeah, and then the windmill ends up absolutely infested. Infested with mice, <laughs> like my house. Anyone listening to that would think we're both drunk. Let me, let me put it politely. We probably we're, are. It's 10 in the morning, so let me... Uh, imagine what Darren and I are like with, you know, a couple of Budweiser's in us. We're right laugh, aren't we, Darren? I like that, though. That was lovely. <laughs> lovely. Sing longer, Darren and Molly. Oh, there you go, you see. There you go. Dazzler, shall we finish the Happy Garden podcast number 11 with some jobs of the week ahead? We surely can do, Molly Green. Okay. Now in the Happy Garden. Oh, I say, sweetie, this is my favourite bit. Time for Darren to be absolutely flabulous and regale us with his gardening jobs for the week ahead. Well, yes. Go. Well, folks, if you've still not planted those spring bulbs, naughty. you naughty people. <laughs> <laughs> get them in the ground, get them in your pots. Still not too late. What will happen is they'll probably flower a little bit later for you. But get them used. You've wasted your money otherwise, haven't you? Plant new perennials in the ground if it's not too wet. If the ground is wet, then um, basically just... just Keep them in their pots. You can also uh, carry out division of herbaceous perennials at this particular point in time. Just divide them and basically uh, pop them into the ground. Remove seedling weeds and sow some hardy annuals. So if you like that wonderful naturalistic effect, get some hardy annuals out there sown into the ground where they'll actually flower. And make sure that all fallen leaves are actually raked off the lawn. Now, otherwise it can cause blocking of light and Actually disturb your lawn. I don't know about you, but I've had a thoroughly lovely time listening to that sweetie darling. I know that I will be having a crack at some of those jobs this week. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you next week for more absolutely rudgelicious gardening jobs for the week ahead. You're listening to the Happy Garden Podcast with Molly Green and Darren Rudge. Is that it? Can I go home now? <laughs> what are you doing now? 
Um, well, I'm going to have me lunch, I think. Um, uh, Mrs. Darren has just walked in. So, oh, so uh, lunch is served. What yeah? Uh, lunch is <laughs> so served. So rude. I don't, know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Do you, know, yeah. Is she in? Yeah. Go on, call well, out. Call out what's for lunch. Darren. I don't know where she's gone. Where, where have you gone? She's upstairs taking her boots off. Ask there her what's go. for lunch. You're so what's rude. What's for lunch? So rude. <laughs> chicken what? Do what? <laughs> she didn't say chicken. What did she say? <laughs> she said <laughs> with egg on. <laughs> with egg on. <laughs> I love <laughs> Mrs. Darren. <laughs> the thing is, it will be <laughs> with egg on. <laughs> it's all you deserve. <laughs> pass on our pass on our poor regards to Mrs. Rudge, won't you? I will do. Chained to the kitchen sink. <laughs> Well, listen, have a lovely, lovely afternoon. Thank you for podcast number 11. I think we've made a fist of it, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah good? I think we've done a bit, bit, Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. <laughs> and, of course, we've only got four or five weeks left to Christmas, so we've got an awful lot to discuss in the run-up, uh, whether it be, and you are fantastic at making Christmas table displays. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, horticultural presents in the run-up to Christmas. yes. Let's profile some of those. Yeah, we've got an awful lot to discuss. Anything you want Darren to delve into, to investigate on the Happy Garden Podcast, just get in touch. It's the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. All the Facebooks are open. There's the Happy Garden Podcast on Facebook. Darren Rudge is on Facebook, the one in the blue shirt. Uh, Molly Green with an IE is on Facebook with the headphones on. Um, no excuse. If you want to get in touch, if you want Darren to profile anything or investigate anything towards Christmas, those are the ways to get in touch. It was good then this afternoon, Dazzler. Oh, it's been brilliant. It's been absolutely excellent, as always, Molly always Green. brilliant. But Dazzler, we will see you next week for the Happy Garden podcast number uh, 12 next week. Yeah, number 12. 12 weeks, Molly Green. How yeah, about that? Well, do you know, we've, we've done quite good, haven't we? If you're still afloat after three yes. months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Darren, thank you for all of your advice and all of the help that you've given everybody on the Happy Garden podcast today. No problem. Always my pleasure, folks. And uh, I'll be here till eternity. Oh, it's oh. a promise. Oh, it's a threat. <laughs> it's a threat, yeah. We'll see you next week. Happy gardening, folks. Happy gardening. You've been listening to the Happy Garden podcast with Molly Green and Darren Rudge. If you'd like to send them an email, get in touch with the Happy Garden podcast by emailing thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com. Follow them on social media. Just search for the Happy Garden podcast. Can we say Happy Garden podcast just one more time? The Happy Garden podcast. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 